Well, good morning, Oakwood. And welcome to the first part of a new series we're starting today called American Idols. Now, I will tell you what the series is not. There are not going to be three judges up here on stage judging my sermons every week. Ryan Seacrest is not going to come out and be like, this is American Idols, okay? There's none of that. Uh, What we're going to be talking about is idols and idolatry over the next several weeks. And this is one of those things that I feel like we could kind of be like, well, you know, I'm not so sure this affects me. I don't feel like I'm an idolater. I don't feel like I have idols set up in my life. But as we dive into this and as we think about it, as we study God's Word and what it has to say, uh, I think that we'll find out this might be more of a struggle for a lot of us than we maybe first thought. And so we invite you to be a part of this today. It's just going to be an introduction to American idols. Because the fact is, is who and what we worship determines what we live for. Who and what we worship determines what we live for. There were two high society ladies that had come to a social gathering and they were in their beautiful gowns and they had on their their big jewelry and one of them had on this beautiful pearl necklace. And her friend that was there with her came up and said, you know, is that is that pearl necklace really real? I mean, is that the real deal? Is that, are those real pearls? And of course, the lady kind of was a little bit offended by the comment. She said, of course, these are real pearls. Well, then her friend said, well, you know, if those are real pearls, then, you know, I should be able to bite one of them and find out if it's a real pearl. And she said back to her friend, well, if you want to bite one of these pearls, then you'd have to have real teeth. So for those of you with dentures this morning, that one was for you. But no, so many times in life, I think we pass off what is fake for what is real. If you use the word costume jewelry, about 20, 25, 30 years ago even, that, that was really kind of taboo. That was something that you just didn't, you just didn't talk about. It was something that was negative. Today, we have brands of costume jewelry, don't we? There's no precious metal or precious stone in any of it. It, it, It's all just put together, but it looks really nice. And what do you like about costume jewelry, ladies? You like the stuff that looks really what? Really real, right? You like the stuff that resembles the real thing. That you could buy something maybe for $50, $60, $70, and it looks like something that maybe cost $1,000. I remember uh, when I was living in Dallas and I was attending Dallas Christian College, I remember that you could buy fake stuff in a big city. Uh, You may not see that as much in Enid, Oklahoma, but you saw it everywhere in Dallas. And I remember going down uh, I-35E one time and and seeing on the access road there, there was just these, these, you know, tents kind of set up, people selling stuff out of the back of their their pickup truck or their van. And as you're driving down the road, you're kind of like, what is that? And I remember some friends from the Bible college and I was like, let's go check this out. It looks like, you know, it's a big, you know, Nike shoes for sale, cheap. And I'm like, hey, you know, so we, we go in there and they sold a ton of fake uh, clothing brands. And, and there were things like fake polos. I mean, it looked like a polo. It had the symbol of polo. It even had a tag on the back that said polo. And you could pass it for the real thing, but it wasn't because it only cost $10 instead of $60 for a shirt. I remember they had knockoff guest jeans. Guest jeans was a big brand back then. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but that was a big brand back then. And so they had guest jeans that were fake guest jeans. And you could buy them for, you know, like $10 or $15 where you know, if you went to the store, they, they might cost you 80 at the, at the department store. I, I remember they had fake Nikes. That's what really drew me and my friends in with these fake Nikes that were really, really cheap, but they looked, you know, Nike Air Jordans that were, you know, really, really uh, cheap, but they looked like the real thing. And we couldn't really figure out because we were checking out the tag numbers and all the little things about them. And I, 
I remember, and this was before the internet, so we couldn't, you know, cross-reference anything on the spot. You know, we didn't have cell phones back then. We couldn't afford them, and they were only bag phones back then. And anyway, but, but these Nikes looked real, and then after a while, we were like, these might have been real Nikes that were just stolen <laughs> that we bought. I don't, I'm not sure. They looked really legit. But I remember one of my favorite things that some of my friends uh, bought, and I couldn't because I, I wear glasses, but uh, they bought Oakley sunglasses that were fake. And you could kind of tell those were fake. They were kind of flimsy, and the lenses weren't really great in them. We called them Jokelees. And so a bunch of them went and spent, you know, five bucks on all these pairs of Jokelees, and they thought they were cool. And, uh, but they weren't, the, they weren't the real thing. And for you ladies, uh, they sold these uh, handbags and these purses that were Dooney and Burke. Remember, remember, I don't know if those are still popular, but, you know, uh, when those were a big deal, they sold these fake Dooney and Burke purses for, you know, 15 or $20 on the side of the road here. And, and you know, if, you, if, if you're doing that, if you're buying... Um, stuff for personal use, um, you know, I guess that's okay, but is there this deception? Is, this, is there this moral line that we cross when we try to pass off something that is fake as something that is real? Because I think you'd admit that if you're spending good money on something, if you're paying, you know, full price for something, you don't want to walk into a department store and buy something that's fake. You don't want to walk into a jewelry store and buy something that is fake. You want to buy something that is real. If you go to the ATM today after church and, and you put in your car and you're trying to withdraw money, you want real money, right? You don't want counterfeit. You don't want to start spinning out Monopoly dollars in your car, you know? You know, it, no one wants to have their identity stolen and have someone else, you know, fake it like they're them. And today, a fake diploma could cost you a career. But see, there's this thing that we need to understand. That when we accept idols in our lives, they're fake gods. They're little fakes, and they can be harmful. Let's look at what the Scripture says about this this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And of course, if you're following along in the app, all the Scripture and the, the sermon points are there for you. If you're using the Bible that we provide uh, right there around you, just turn to page 61. You'll be right where we need to be, Exodus 20, this morning. And let me kind of set up uh, this passage for you because this is the beginning of the uh, section of Scripture called the Ten Commandments, God's Big Ten. And what's happened here is the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. They've been enslaved. And God has finally delivered them out of slavery, delivered them out of the bondage in Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land. And while they're on the way to the Promised Land, uh, they had to you know, wander the wilderness 40 years because of some sin in the camp and, and all these things. But God, during that time, stops them by a mountain to give them the Ten Commandments. Now, many people believe that God was trying to slap a bunch of rules on these Israelites. But if you really read the Ten Commandments and you really stop and think for a second and say, what if we lived by these rules today? What if you kept the Ten Commandments perfectly and your neighbor kept the Ten Commandments per per perfectly? What if everybody in this sanctuary and everybody out in our workplaces and everybody in our schools and just every, everybody everywhere kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Think how good it would be to live that way. You see, God wasn't trying to impose some set of rules on the Israelites. God was trying to teach them how to stay free. They'd been in bondage and slavery in Egypt for so many years, but now they were going to be in bondage to sin if they didn't do what God asked them to do. If they would just keep these commandments, they would live life free. 
And so God's commandments are actually trying to show people how to be free, how to not go back into bondage again, and all of the negative effects of their sinfulness. And so this morning, in this passage, we're going to look at the first thing God commands them to do in the, in the Ten Commandments. And what God is saying here is, I want to guide you to where you won't be in bondage anymore. So let's look at this together. Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. It says this, And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now this would really resonate with the Israelites. This would be very meaningful to them. That God is the one that brought them out. They couldn't bring themselves out. They had tried for years. But God was the one that brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of the house of slavery. And then he says this in verse 3. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And notice God's there is little g. Look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the, fourth, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me. And those who love him do what? And it goes on and says, and keep my commandments. Those who love me will keep my commandments. I want you to notice there in, in, in verse 5, it's just key and critical point there. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. You're not going to bow down and worship idols and false gods, and you're not going to serve them with your life. You see, God understands that we will give ourselves to something if we don't give ourselves to Him. That you will give yourself to something in this life if you don't give yourself to Him. God created us and all mankind with this God-shaped hole that I believe is inside every human heart. And the problem is, is that we try to put everything else in the world in that void in our life and hope and pray that it will really satisfy us. And it could be almost anything. I mean, some people go their whole life trying to numb some pain, trying to fill some hole. What they're missing the whole time is a relationship with God. And what happens many times is we set up these false idols to take his place. But these idols are fake. These idols are worthless. They are false. And they will never quite satisfy. In verse 3 of our passage, when God says that you'll have no other gods, little g, before me, he is not acknowledging the reality of truly that there are other gods. What he is acknowledging there is the reality that every man will give his heart to something or someone. And if you don't give your heart to God, you'll give it to something else. And that will, be called, that will become your functional God. When we're talking about idols in the series, I want you to think about that. That there might be something in your life that is your functional God. John Calvin said it, said it right when he made this statement. He said, the human heart is an idol factory. And this is a big deal. I think sometimes we, we get into Scripture from Exodus 20, and we say, well, that's Old Testament. That was so long ago. You know, that doesn't really apply to us today. But, but this concept of idolatry is throughout Scripture. It's mentioned over and over again in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 44, 
That'd be a great study for you to do this week is to go read Isaiah 44. And it's about this, this man who works with wood. And it talks about how he, he's chopping wood and how part of the wood he puts into a fire and it, it provides heat and it provides you know, a source of energy for him to cook and, and do all these things. But that same piece of wood, he takes another part of it and he carves it into a little graven image. It becomes this little wooden idol that he begins to worship. And Isaiah 44 just points out the absurdity that the same wood you would burn for energy is the same wood that you could carve into something else and worship. Throughout all of the prophets and the leaders of Israel in the Old Testament, there's a call to stay away from idols. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. He talks about idol idols all throughout his writings. And in the last verse of 1 John 5.21, very near the end of the Bible, the last verse of 1 John 5.21 says this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So it's a problem. It's addressed even till the end of the Bible. And here's some things I want us to learn about idolatry this morning. The first one is this. An idol is created anytime we exchange the Creator for the created. An idol is created anytime we exchange the creator for the created. When a created thing becomes the main thing in our lives, then that means that we've set up an idol. Uh, my wife and I lived in Colorado a uh, long time ago, seems like. And when we lived in Colorado, we encountered this uh, this fact in, in a different kind of way. We were in an area in, in a, a valley that was a lot of farming and fruit. Um, it was on the western slope, and, and we met some people that we call granola people, okay? You, you, you might call them tree huggers, you know. Uh, they're, they're just all about the earth, and they want to save the earth, and uh, you know, they, they, they love conservationists, you know, conservationism, and taking care of trees and animals, and, and those are not bad things, until it becomes the main thing in your life. Until you start saying things like, hey, why don't you come to church with us at our church this Sunday? Oh, no, no, on Sunday mornings I'll go down by the river and I let Mother Earth speak to me through the rippling waters. I actually had someone say that to me one time. And we would sit there and say, oh, that's, that's kind of funny. That, that some of the, you know, the kind of strikes us as that's silly. But no, people really do that. There are people that actually worship Mother Nature. That actually worship Mother Earth that actually are so endowed with God's creation that the creation has become greater than the one who created it. And anytime you exchange something created for the creator, then you have set up an idol in your life. And the fact is this can happen very quickly and really rather, rather subtle. There's, there's, there's anything in your life that becomes a main thing above God. If it becomes your life focus, then you've probably set up an idol. The second thing I want us to learn about idolatry this morning is that idolatry turns selfish desires, oftentimes sinful, selfish desires, into ultimate priorities in our life. It may have just started as a little bit of a desire. Now it's an ultimate priority in our life. Idols always express a desire to serve self. And whether for you it's a stone idol or an idol made of wood or maybe a television set, Maybe a camper. Maybe it's your boat. Maybe it's your accomplishments, your achievements, your success, your trophy case, your certificates on the wall, your medals that you've won. Maybe it's your looks. 
Maybe it's some financial thing that you've done. But if it's set up to serve self and brings out selfish desires and ambitions, and those become priorities over everything else in your life, then it's become an idol. And it is where you worship. It is what you sacrifice for. It has become the main thing in your life over God. And you see, all of the other commandments in the Big Ten that God gives us are different expressions of this first commandment that, we've studied, that we're studying today. To, to take commandment number four, for instance. Commandment number four is one of those. Take a Sabbath day and keep it holy. Take a Sabbath day and keep it holy. What does that have to do with not setting up an idol or, or not worshiping God? Ha, you know why we need that one, I think? I think it's because some of us, we will make work our God. We'll make work our God. Anyone here ever, ever perhaps struggle with that? I mean, work is not a bad thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. In fact, I know a lot of business owners, a lot of managers that would love to see some people work, you know? They want some people to work in their companies to be successful. So work in and of itself is not a bad thing. We should, we should all work. There's lots of Scripture in the Bible that talks about that. But it is a bad thing when it becomes the center of your life. When your whole calendar is about your 60 or 70 or 80 hours a week that you're at work and you neglect your family and you neglect your friends and you neglect your time with God and you neglect your Sabbath. And ultimately, it hurts you and it hurts the ones that you love. What about commandment number six? Commandment number six, don't commit adultery. What does that have to do with anything? You know, Sex is not a bad thing. As long as it is practiced within God's guidelines in the, in the context of marriage. But sex makes a terrible God. And it hurts people. And for some people, I can see that that has become an idol in their life. And everything is about the next image or the next thing. And it makes a terrible God. Have no idols before me. Have nothing be the main thing of your life, the main pursuit of your life, other than God only. And there's other commandments like don't steal. Don't, don't covet your neighbor's possessions. And it's not bad to have nice things. God certainly gives us creation to enjoy. But if things take the main thing in your life, then they become your God. And you'll find out you hurt yourself or someone else because you're going to want more of those things in your life. Or you'll want to take care of those things more than you'll want to take care of people. And it's marked by obsession and the fact that you always are striving because you covet that maybe it's even tempted you to steal something from somebody before. You see, this is the essence of idolatry. Selfishness over everything else in life. The third thing this morning, an idol promises that it can do for you what only God can truly do for you. So many times an idol says, hey, I can do for you what really, truly only God can do for you. It's a cheap substitute for a mighty God. And idols eventually topple. They eventually get knocked down and you will get hurt. Best illustration I could think of this, and I'm not sure everybody's seen these movies, but Lord of the Rings... You've seen Lord of the Rings and you remember the character Gollum. What's his favorite, favorite words to say in, in, in the movies is, my precious, my precious. And it's about this ring. And the ring is so precious to him that pretty much his whole existence revolves around getting this ring. And he's like, my precious, my precious. 
And he says it more creepy than that, but my precious. But the deal is, is I, I thought about that. And I thought, but what about us as Christians sometimes? What about us as Christians sometimes? What is it, that object that we're like, oh, my precious, my precious. And it's not Jesus. It's, it's, it's not the Savior. It's not the Son of God. It's not God Himself. But our precious is an object or an achievement or something. Maybe it's, it's money. But whatever it is, those things become our precious in our life. And it gives us this false sense of security that, that because I have this idol, this replacement for God, then I'll be okay. It's the main thing of my life. And that idol promises to do for you what really, truly only God can do for you. The fourth thing this morning that we can learn about idolatry is that the message of the Bible is this. Smash your idols or your idols will smash you. Smash your idols or your idols will smash you. What we've got to do is identify what is competing with God for the throne of our hearts. What is competing with God? Have you ever seen a two-seater throne? No. I mean, we laugh. That's absurd. If, if there's a throne, there's only one seat on the throne because there's going to be one person that's in charge. Here's some questions to maybe help you think about what might be an idol in your life. What do you find yourself thinking most about? Whatever you're thinking most about might be an idol. What do you find yourself dreaming about when you have that space in your life where you can actually think and dream? What do you find yourself dreaming about? Get out your calendar and get out your checkbook or your, or your bank statement and put them side by side and say, by these things, what is the priority of my life? What would be the main thing according to these? What do you sacrifice most for? Whose approval do you seek the most? Do you seek some, some person's approval? Some man's approval? Or are you pursuing more God's approval? Another question is, what brings you the most joy? What brings you the most satisfaction? Because if your answer to that is immediately not God and not Jesus Christ, then you probably set up an idol. In the weeks ahead in this series, we're going to name some of the American idols, some of the most popular ones. We're, we're going to find an idol called control. Very popular idol in America because we like to be in charge. We're going to find an idol called success. Again, very popular. Makes us look good. Makes us feel good. There's going to be an idol called work, which is a very respectable idol. And next week, we're going to be talking about an idol called more. The reason we're talking about an idol called more next week is because in a recent survey, 300 million Americans believe that if they just had a little more possessions or money, then they would be happy and fulfilled. That that's all they need to be happy in life is just a little more. So be on guard. And I want to speak to the Christians here of God's family, watch your heart during this series because we have this tendency, especially as churched folks, to put a band-aid on it or to think, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. And we don't ever really face the reality to fix our own issues, to repent of our own sins. Because 
what we do as Christians oftentimes is if we think, if I could just add a little more Jesus. If I could just add just a little bit more Jesus to my life. Just, just attend church a little more regular. Uh, just listen to a podcast that's a little more spiritual. Um, do one more devotion on the Bible app. Um, just read the Bible, you know, once a week. Um, outside of Sunday morning. Uh, but instead of getting rid of our idols and smashing them, I want you to think about this. What we do is we have this shelf of idols in our life and we just make room on the shelf for Jesus. <laughs> we don't smash the idols. We don't get rid of them. We just, we, just, we just have Jesus. We'll just squeeze them in there on the shelf amongst all of our other idols. And sadly, I think here in America, religion has become a way that we try to cope with life without actually centering our lives on God. Without making Him first, most, best, and highest in our life. But instead, the temptation is just add a little Jesus. Sometimes adding a little Jesus feels really good. I added a little Jesus. I did a Devo this week. But we're called to smash our idols and to put God back on the throne of our hearts. The last thing we can learn about idolatry this morning is that God is not going to bless the life where He's included and not exalted. That God is not going to bless the life where He's just included but not exalted. Do you see what I'm saying here? He, what, what did it say here in, in our passage in, uh, in uh, verse 5? It says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You, you are not going to bow down worship me. You're not going to serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And a jealous God wants to be the main thing and the first and the best and the most and the highest in your life. And God resists all the attempts that we could make to baptize our idols. Oh, I'm going to sanctify my idols. But they're still idols. They're still competing for your mind's attention and your heart's affection that needs to be turned toward God, but is turned towards something else in life. And as long as we have our functional idols set up, we can expect that our relationship with God will feel distant. So let's do a little heart check this morning. I'm just wondering, and you don't have to raise your hand, I just want you to think about this. Do you feel distant from God this morning? Coming in here on Sunday morning ought to be the most joyous, awesome, look forward to it all week, time of the week. To get together with God's family, to worship God, sing songs of praise and to declare His greatness, to hear, to hear His Word, to get wrapped up into thoughts of God, to have our minds just cleansed and purified because of what God is doing in us and through us right now. And yet, so many would say, I don't feel close to God. I feel distant. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you have a functional little G God, if you have an idol set up in your life, then that's probably one of the first symptoms that you'll feel is that you will feel a distance from God. And so it's time to really think and, and dwell on in our hearts, is there something that I have put ahead of God that I've used as a functional idol that was set up in my life so that I am distant from God? Because this might be the exact reason. Because you have exalted something above Him. And Scripture tells us that God is too jealous and honestly, He loves you too much 
than to allow your heart to worship idols and allow them to survive in your life. God's personal interest is not only in what's best for Himself, but God loves you and He created you and He actually knows exactly what is best for your life. So I want Him to speak this morning and so I'm going to to leave you in our time this morning by just reading a scripture. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And he's here, he's talking to the, to the elders of, of Israel. It's not like the elders of a church, but the elders of, the, of Israel. It's their governing council. It's the old men of the tribes. And this is what he says uh, to the elders of Israel. It says, to the elders of Israel, they, they came to me and they sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. This is being Ezekiel. And it said this, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. And it set the stumbling block of their iniquity. Iniquity means sin and sinfulness. They have set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes in with his multitude of idols that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. Do you get what God is saying there through Ezekiel? He's saying that that these idols are an affront to me, that these idols are keeping me away from a relationship with Israel. And then look what he says in the last verse here in verse 6. He says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols. Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your sins, all your abominations, it says. That's what we're called to do this morning. You know, repentance in the church is something that I didn't really fully understand until I studied it in Scripture. You know, I always thought repentance was the time at the end of the sermon when the music starts playing and we sing a song and, and sometimes I move to tears. You know, it's just you, you cry because you maybe feel guilty about sin in your life. Or you cry because you understand Christ's sacrifice and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to nail him on the cross again. I, 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 I don't want to take his, his blood for granted. I don't want to take his sacrifice for granted. And, and so we made this time of repentance, this time of sorrow. But the scripture says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, which leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. If you're wondering what that means, is like godly sorrow leads to repentance. And repentance literally means to change your mind. It means to change your direction. It's as if you're going one way and you repent, you're going to turn around and go the opposite direction. And that's exactly what God has called us to do today. It's exactly what God's going to be calling us to do over the next several weeks as we're in this series. 
is that we're not going to allow our idols to smash us, but we're going to smash our idols. We're going to put God first and most and highest and best in our life, and we're going to worship only Him. And if He's not the main thing in your life right now, we're praying that over the next several weeks, He's going to become the main thing. That if He's been off the throne because you put something else on the throne, that He's going to be back on the throne of your life and your heart. Well, this morning, the call is to repent and to turn away from your idols. Please pray with me.